Welcome to this common, sacred space. Common because we all are welcome. Sacred because here we transform the ordinary and attend to the profound. We carry with us our regrets, doubts, fears, stories, laughter. May they inspire our worship. Above all, may we meet, may we each meet what we need most to find on this day in this common sacred space. Well, I have good news and bad news. Okay, so Nick told me he's going to be talking about zombies today. And what tools might we need to be prepared for like a zombie apocalypse? Well, the bad news is my husband does amazing programming about this because he works in emergency management. Unfortunately, he's out of town, so you're stuck with me. But the good news is I have his backpack. Well, one of about 16 backpacks he has ready to go with different emergency supplies. Now, each of us in this room bring about different strengths. So it's not just about the tools, but it's also about the team you might have. So me, for example, I'm a little chaotic, but I'm entertaining. And I think pretty quick on my feet, um, I'm good at keeping people's spirits up, and um, I'm kind of an out-of-the-box thinker, which goes in hand with the fact that my husband is very prepared, and he believes in stopping whatever you are doing and making sure that you are using the tool right, that you're putting the tool away as soon as you are done with it, um, and that you replenish any supplies you use. So for that reason, I'm not really going to open this bag out of respect that he likes to know where everything is. <laughs> but what I'm going to do is show you some things that are in the bag. Well, they're in my bag, so they're kind of chaotic. So, but they're in here. So I have a few different things. Let me just have one person at a time. You want to come up here and open this? Let's see what's in here. What's one of the first things you see? Do you know what that is? Yeah, this is a first aid kit. How many folks have this in your homes? Okay, good deal. He'd be very proud of you. Okay, uh, go ahead down. Do you want to come up and see something? Okay, come on up. What else do you see in here? You can pull out one thing. Okay, this is super cool. Do you know what this is? What is it? What? Oh, it is a radio. It's a radio, and what's really cool is it's a weather radio, which I'm having a hard time. Okay. And what's really cool is up here, that is solar panels, like up on our roof. And so you can turn on the radio, but you can also turn on the flashlight. And you want to spin, do that? You want to give it a crank? How many of you have one of these? Oh, okay. A little less than the first aid kit, but good. So this... Is really handy. And what's also really handy, can I get one more person to come up? Come on up, come on. I think there might be enough for everybody to pull something out. What else is in there? 
That is another one. Do you know how to do this? I'll let you. It makes a fun sound. Okay, hold it in that hand. Here, let me hold this for you for a second. And then you got to crank that. Yeah, there you go. So that's your other flashlight. And what's cool about both of these flashlights, let me show you, is, can you hold that? How many of us need phones? Good to call for emergency help. Has a USB port here, both of them do. So good to be able to charge your device and ask for help. Okay, what else do we have? Okay, go on now, you take that. I got, you wanna come up and grab something? Aha, water bottle. Okay, very, very handy to stay hydrated. All right, what else? Anyone else, you wanna come up and grab something? Maybe the two of you, come here. I might need both your help. Go ahead and pull that out. What is that? It's a blanket, but it's also here. We can unfold it. Go ahead. Holly, you grab this end. You grab this end. Hold on. Let her hold the other end. What do you notice about this blanket that might be different than a blanket you have? It's thin. It's not fuzzy. It has these ties on it. So it could be a blanket, but it can double as a tarp. So if we needed to make a shelter, you know, if you're outside, if it's raining, if your roof's leaking, you know, staying dry is a good way to keep you safe. All right. I think I have one more. Who hasn't had a chance? Go ahead. Come on up. I got one more thing for you. Go ahead and grab that. Ooh, what are those? Uh, matches. Not just any ordinary matches. Waterproof safety matches. And you'll notice in plastic bags so that they really won't get wet because if we need to light candles, if we need to light flares, if we need to keep ourselves warm, because like one little candle could keep you really warm. So I wonder if you guys might think today, what do you have? How are you prepared with safety sort of items? But also who might you want on your team? Like who here's a fast runner? Okay, we might need to outrun zombies. Okay, who here is really good about fixing boo-boos and helping tend if you had stuff like that? Anyone? Yeah, okay, we see nurses and things out here, right? Who's really good at scaring monster? Any, anybody else? All right, we need to, be, I guess that's one of my skill sets I can add. All right, so I hope you all will think about that today. Our kids are going to join Sunny and myself to take care of our community and people in our community today by helping prepare some food for hot meals. So come on and follow us out as we sing you out. I told Nick that I don't know anything about zombies. I avoid purposefully avoid scary movies, Stephen King's books, all that scary stuff. I haven't seen The Night of the Living Dead or The Walking Dead. They're just too scary for me. I used to enjoy reading the mystery novels by P.D. James until one time she wrote a book 
that was so scary. My heart was absolutely pounding while I read it, and I had to finish it to know how the story resolved. But after that, I chose to stop reading her books. I wondered why people, some people like scary movies and scary TV and scary books. Obviously, some people like them. So I did some Google researching, which suggested several good things come from being exposed to the scary. Some people may simply enjoy the adrenaline rush and the feelings of relief at the conclusion. But other people may purposefully watch as a project of personal growth. I read that watching such shows may help one to face one's fears. It can be a way of desensitizing that fear. Such exposure may help people to be open to new ideas and experiences or to reframe a point of view or to work out a plan to deal with a difficult situation. Some find these fictions to be a safe place to deal with other fears and difficulties like loneliness, death, the state of democracy, racism, climate change, violence, the end of the world as we know it. And this is where the zombie apocalypse as a metaphor comes in. There have, no doubt, been many times throughout history that people felt they were facing the end of the world as they knew it. As a society, as a nation, as a smaller group, like a congregation or a family, or an individual. When my first marriage ended in a totally unexpected divorce, I felt like I was facing the end of the world as I knew it. My life to that point had been fairly predictable, some adventures, but no unmanageable fears. Suddenly, I was on my own with two small children, feeling rejected, questioning my value, and wondering about my ability to cope, not very confident. I remember one day having a panic attack in the kitchen with my heart pounding and my palms sweating, and I felt like my broken heart, already broken, was literally going to break apart in my chest, and it was because I was afraid. Well, obviously, it all worked out. It wasn't the end of the world. It was hard at first, but that event opened the door to a much better and happier life. It all worked out. So writing this reflection stimulated my, stimulated my thinking. What am I afraid of and why am I afraid of it? The big things like racism, threats to democracy, book banning, those do scare me. They challenge the world, maybe not as I, well, as I know it, but also as I want it to be. I can only hope, I can't control those big things, but I can only hope to control my reaction to them, how I deal with them. But I also need to attend to my small fears. Now, in this space, I feel safe. I meet new people, I feel safe here. But driving to a new place, meeting a group of new people that I don't know, 
that's harder. I almost skipped a new activity last Sunday when I missed church to go sing with a group of people I'd never met. I almost skipped it because I thought I would be uncomfortable. So with encouragement from my spouse, I pushed through that discomfort. I had a great time. I found the place. I met people. I ate lunch. I sang. It was awesome. It was so good. So sometimes those small fears, we have to pay attention to those. We have these little opportunities to face this discomfort, to face these little fears. So I don't have to start watching zombie movies or The Walking Dead or anything like that. I do need to pay attention to my reactions, to my discomforts, and I need to be honest with myself. Is there something that I can do to face these fears? Awareness of what is making me feel icky, that icky, is the first step. I know that resolve, even in little things, to courageous action comes next. And I have to hope that I am brave enough to take that step. We have two readings. The first is an excerpt from an Atlantic article titled The Weaponization of Loneliness. It was written by Secretary Hillary Rodham Clinton. There is always been angry young men, alienated from mainstream society and susceptible to the appeal of demagogues and hate mongers. But modern technology has taken that danger to a whole other level. This was Steve Bannon's key insight. Long before Bannon ran Donald Trump's presidential campaign, he was involved in the world of online gaming. He discovered an army of what he later described as rootless white males, disconnected from the real world, but highly engaged online and often quick to resort to sexist and racist attacks. When Bannon took over the hard right website Breitbart News, he was determined to turn these socially isolated gamers into the shock troops of the alt-right pumping them full of conspiracy theories and hate speech. Bannon pursued the same project as a senior executive at Cambridge Analytica, the notorious data mining and online influence company, largely owned by the right-wing billionaire Robert Mercer. According to a former Cambridge Analytica engineer turned whistleblower, Bannon targeted incels or involuntary celibate men because they were easy to manipulate and prone to believing conspiracy theories. Quote, you can activate that army, he said. Bannon told the Bloomberg journalist Joshua Green, quote, they come in through Gamergate or whatever, and then get turned on to politics and Trump. Our second reading is by Burley Vang, To Live in the Zombie Apocalypse. The moon will shine for God knows how long, as if it still matters, as if someone is trying to recall a dream. Believe the brain is a cage of light and rage. When it shuts off, 
something else switches on. There's no better reason than now to lock the doors, the windows, turn off the sprinklers and porch light, uh, save the books for fire. In darkness, we learn to read what moves along the horizon, across the periphery of a gun scope, the flicker of shadows, the rustling trash in the body of cities long emptied. Not a soul lives in this house or this house or this house. Go on then, stiffen the heart, quicken the blood, to live in a world of flesh and teeth. You must learn to kill what you love and love what can die. In her 2019 senior thesis at Ball State University, Lauren DeLorenzo makes four claims, among many other things she says, but she makes four claims that I hope we come to experience as true and meaningful throughout this six-week sermon series. One, monsters tell us who we are, what we believe, and what we abhor. Two, we use monsters to identify our fears, to examine them, to justify them. Three, the better we understand the monstrous, the more we, em the more we sympathize with their flaws and understand their roots, the harder it is to condemn them. And four, if we can understand and even empathize with monsters, we can better understand ourselves. Today, our journey of facing our monsters begins with the zombie, or as it is commonly depicted in various art forms, a horde of zombies. Zombies are one of the few monster archetypes that tend to move in packs rather than isolated. The value community, the value of community, even if they value community, even if they are not vital communities. So I've been wondering how many of you are zombies? Oh, uh, how many of you are afraid of zombies? It's a slightly different question. Some? I get them mixed up sometimes, but some of you might be more like Chris and not engage in this realm of horror altogether, but zombies are surely in our collective cultural imagination in the United States for decades, especially since the 1980s. The zombie archetype became more popular through the mediums of television and film, literature, and even music. I'm curious why zombies hold so much power over our imagination and fear within our society. Back to De Lorenzo's senior thesis, she writes, how the particular fear on display with zombies is that of the fear of the other. She writes, quote, fear of the other induces imagery of a group lost to mindless conformity, an idea which is perfectly represented by the zombie, Hungry for brains and ready to convert at any moment, zombies are one of the only monsters to present themselves as part of a group rather than a singular threat. Zombies evolved from Haitian belief systems and were sensationalized by the Western world. 
drawing clear parallels between the lack of autonomy of Haitian slaves and the zombie. From Game of Thrones to The Walking Dead, it is clear that our fear of losing agency to zombies to the other is present today. So zombies really exist at the heart of our fears of the other or of difference or even just of the unknown. It's easy to look at the zombie as a character and laugh at how absurd a scientific possibility for such a thing might be and therefore dismiss it outright as devoid of meaning. Oh, it's just make-believe. But when we think about the zombie in the shadows of our country, the shadows of white supremacy, of xenophobia, of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, we may come to be able to see that perhaps there are very relevant themes and applications for our present day. The Southern Poverty Law Center is a nonprofit organization with offices throughout the South. Headquartered in Montgomery, Alabama, the Southern Poverty Law Center is, quote, a catalyst for racial justice in the South and beyond, working in partnership with communities to dismantle white supremacy, strengthen intersectional movements, and advance the human rights of all people, end quote. In 2022, they tracked 1,225 active hate and or anti-government groups in the United States. Of these, 29 groups are present throughout Indiana, including some really close to us, like an active chapter of the Ku Klux Klan in Madison, Indiana, or a more obscure group known as Hearth and Helm, which is a member of the Neo-Volkish movement, more specifically, this is an overarching ideology, and the manifestation is through this Asatru folk assembly, which promotes a white supremacist worldview under the guise of ethnic folk religion. Between 2021 and 2022, the AFA grew about 30% in one year. And these are just a couple of groups among the more than two dozens throughout our state. Since the election of Barack Obama in 2008, white supremacy and white Christian nationalism has been on a resurgence. It's been on the rise and it continues. The mobilization of these as well as armed militias throughout the nation was amplified in the election of Donald Trump in 2016 and the insurrection and its aftermath in 2021. We are in a perfect storm for the mobilization of armies of predominantly young white men who, in fear of losing their physical place in the world, have chosen to lose their own humanity and join the hordes of zombies throughout the United States. It might feel tongue-in-cheek or rhetorical to ask the question, as our service title does, are we living through a zombie apocalypse? But if you step back and think about it, the question is not so easily dismissed. Zombies here are most likely metaphorical. Hundreds of mostly men, though, are ensnared, cornered, and infected by right-wing conspiratorial and supremacist ideologies every day. In our first reading, the process of zombification happens through, quote, the weaponization of loneliness. Inspired by a book by the same name, 
by Stella Morabito. Secretary Clinton's recent article in The Atlantic shows how websites such as Breitbart News prey upon the lonely in sadistic ways. Referring to Steve Bannon and his love for teaming up with Trump, she writes, quote, Bannon discovered an army of what he later described as rootless white males, disconnected from the real world, but highly engaged online and often quick to resort to sexist and racist attacks. He goes on to say, when Bannon took over the hard right website Breitbart News, he was determined to turn these socially isolated gamers into the shock troops of the alt-right, pumping them full of conspiracy theories and hate speech. I'm not a scientist, but I think if you mix rootless white males, conspiracy theories, and a sense of purpose and community, you have the making of a zombie apocalypse. There's that word again, apocalypse, apocalypse. Zombies in the apocalypse often go hand in hand, or rather zombies don't typically turn up on a random Sunday in Southern Indiana. There are usually more common during some type of apocalyptic or dystopian or fallen society or moment in time. Most of the Western world, especially those connected to the Christian tradition, understand apocalypse as inseparable from the biblical depiction of it in the book of Revelation. But this is not the apocalypse I am thinking of in this context. Well, not exactly. What Revelation gets right about apocalypse begins and ends with the name of the book itself, Revelation and apocalypse go hand in hand, just as zombies and apocalypse do. You see, while the definition of apocalypse relates to the total and final destruction of the world or some catastrophic um, life event as we know it, altering the world, the etymology emphasizes an earlier step in the metamorphosis. Apocalypse comes from the Old English apocalypsin, by the way of the old French, and then it gets back to Latin, and then it gets to Greek, which itself, which the apocalyptine, okay, which itself has two component parts, apo, which means un, and kalyptine, which means to cover. So together, apocalypse is to uncover, to unveil, to reveal, literally, an act of revelation. Apocalypse in general, and so too a zombie apocalypse, occurs in a time when things are being uncovered, unveiled, and revealed. Are we living through a zombie apocalypse? Well, that depends on what you are seeing when you look around our country and world. Are you seeing or experiencing revelation? Are you noticing something you hadn't seen as clearly in the past, perhaps the ongoing existence and growth of white supremacist groups and right-wing militias in our own backyards? Or perhaps you are seeing the voter suppression in Mississippi or knowledge suppression in Florida or reproductive rights suppression across the country or a rise in the demonization of our LGBTQ siblings within and beyond the walls of UUCCI, or maybe you're just finding these threads and all these that are more or less connecting and giving you a bigger picture when you stand back and all of a sudden 
searching for your breath, it hits you. We may very well be living in a time of apocalypse and zombie apocalypse at that. The zombie contour of it falls into two forms. We've discussed the radicalization and mobilization of rootless white males, but there's this second form as well we haven't named. Zombies are not just those who seek the elimination or suppression of whole identity groups or just anything they come across. I have found too that zombies can prey upon the hopeless, the apathetic, the pessimistic, and the fearful. Every human being in life experiences hopelessness, apathy, pessimism, and fear. It's normal. It's human. Yet we must hold tight to one another and to our values to ensure these very human feelings that monsters have a unique ability to bring out of us do not infect us to the level that the antidotes of even love and courage cannot save. We can feel these feelings. These are natural and human, just like each of us. But we must not lose ourselves in the process. For we know there are those out there who have been lost, whether to conspiracy theories or white supremacy or to apathy or to despair. Burley Vang articulates this tender truth in his poem we heard this morning. Chris read, and I'd like to share again, the moon will shine of God for God knows how long, as if it still matters, as if someone is still trying to recall a dream. Believe the brain is a cage of light and rage, and when it shuts off, something else switches on. There's no better reason than now to lock the doors, the windows, turn off the sprinklers and porch light, save the books for fire. In darkness, we learn to read what moves along the horizon across the periphery of a gun scope, the flicker of shadows, the rustling of trash in the body of cities long emptied. Not a soul lives in this house or that house or that house. Go on, stiffen the heart, quicken the blood. To live in a world of flesh and teeth, you must learn to kill what you love and love what can die. This ending stopped both Chris and I in our tracks, and perhaps you. To live in a world of flesh and teeth, you must learn to kill what you love and learn, and love, excuse me, what can die. How devastating a thought. How extreme a conclusion. Is this really so? I think the answer in many respects and in practice and in honesty is yes. Perhaps something can comfort us in our discomfort about this possible truth. Let's take the final line of, uh, from Vang and lay upon it another proposition. This one from Mary Oliver. In Blackwater Woods, she ends her poem in a similar, eerily very similar way. She says, to live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes, to let it go. To let it go. This beautiful sentiment from Oliver is 
not diametrically opposed from Vang's conclusion to live in a world of flesh and teeth. You must learn to kill what you love and love what can die. We walk upon this earth, dear ones, as human beings. We have not lost ourselves. We've not joined the hordes of zombies that may be in disguise but are emerging around us. But we know people who have lost themselves. We see it or we hear about it through a friend or a family member. We feel it. And the gift that you all have, though, is that you're not alone. And you're not alone this morning. You are not uh, the you are not the last one left. Hold up in the attic of a house awaiting an inevitable fate. You are not cornered. Your survival pack is not empty of resources for surviving whatever comes next. Indeed, you are here right this very moment in community, sitting beside those who will carry you through this apocalyptic time, this time of uncovering and revelation. We will make it through. I have that hope and love and courage to share with you today. But I'm not the reason we will make it through. It is because of the courage each of you embody and have the power to share with one another more often, more often than you do now. So I want to help us practice it. During the struggle to end apartheid in South Africa, a song of protest and resilience emerged that came that gave comfort and aid to those up against all odds. This song has been used by movements for liberation across the world and holds truth and meaning for the trouble we face today. I'd like to teach it to you. The words are very simple and it is a partly call and response song. And part of it is sung in unison. So the words are these. Courage, my friend, you do not walk alone. I will walk with you and sing your spirit home. Courage, my friend, you do not walk alone. I will walk with you and sing your spirit home. When I go like this, it's my turn. When I go like this, it's yours. And when I do something like this, no, it'll be all of our turn, okay? So we're going to learn it. Courage, courage, my friend, my friend. And then just listen. You do not walk alone. Try that. You do not walk alone. I will, I will. Walk with you, walk with you, and sing your spirit home. Try that. And sing your spirit home. Let's try it all together. Courage, courage, my friend, my friend. You do not walk alone.
and sing your spirit home again. Courage, Courage. my friend, friend. you do not walk alone. I will, I will walk with you, walk with you, and sing your spirit home. Maybe so. And amen.